desire, if he desires it, you can meet him outside of class. Okay, alright. Oh, oh. Last time, we hope to bring in a lot of special guests throughout this season, uh, both parishioners and non-parishioners, to talk about all different kinds of things. And as we also mentioned last time, there's a lot of new stuff coming up and happening around the parish as we get into the fall season. And one of those is our CIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, uh, which is a, a series of not just classes, but of various events and mostly classes uh, helping adults that want to become Catholic or even finish their sacraments of initiation. And so today, Danielle uh, is a convert <laughs> to our beautiful faith, and so we thought we'd invite her on uh, to share her own story of conversion um, and hopefully to help us uh, both see the beauty in, in converts and what they bring to the body of Christ, but also if anyone listening here is discerning, entering the, the fullness of truth in the Catholic Church, and hopefully Danielle's story and Sanj will be another person we'll interview next um, to, hear their, to hear their stories, hopefully helps you to finish your own conversion. So welcome, Danielle. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind just uh, telling everybody... How you came to St. Ed's, how long you've been here. Um, we Googled parishes near me, and St. Edward's and one other one popped up, and literally we just were like, let's try this one first. We liked the welcome video on the website, and yeah, I didn't expect that it would be like a one-and-done church search type thing. I'm usually one to like critically analyze multiple things and factors, but so we really it was a good pass the test. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was a slow and steady passing of a test, but Bravo, yeah, here all we are. Of you. Dear listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been here for a year in Chicago. Um, we have two children, one that is three at almost in September, and then nice. one that is working on arriving in January. So, Woo! That's awesome. Yeah, very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And you're here with your husband. Steve. Steve. Yes, Steve Excellent. Marcou, who's doing great work in serving uh, the Southside community through mental health care as a physician and just doing an amazing mission down in that area so very that's, proud to be his wife <laughs> that's awesome beautiful i'm sure he's proud to be your husband i too. hope if he was I here <laughs> I, he would be saying the same thing i keep him well fed 
<laughs> I'm sure he also appreciates it. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, we're talking your your conversion story. So you yeah. weren't always Catholic. No. What what were you? Uh, how did you come to find the Catholic Church? What did, were you raised in? Yeah, I was actually thinking before this about what was the starting point, and I feel like the starting point was just when I was born. Mm Because the the walk that you find yourself on as a convert, there's just so many little facets that kind of like play into how you end up being curious about one thing or comfortable with something or uncomfortable with something. So um, I grew up in a non-denominational Church of Christ background. Um, I can say nothing but positive things about so many of the mentors I had in my life in my Protestant chapter of life. Um, I remember seeing modeled in my grandmother a love for scripture and she would, you know, every morning and every night be in the Bible and um, setting an example of prayer was always modeled by my family, my parents, um, and in my church community, lots of um, men and women that were really great mentors and encouragers in our faith life. Um, And then from there, in college-ish, I started exploring different versions of Protestantism, still non-denominational. I never went into anything that had some degree of a liturgy to it, I think. Mm Um, I think it was in a lot of non-denominational churches that were searching to create a liturgy, but um, I think, yeah, when I say Protestant, for me, I know it means something so different than what the next person might mean, because it's such a broad range, but... So were you searching for something new because you left home, or because what were you searching for? Yeah, I mean, during my college years, I was looking for something that felt less legalistic and stiff is really what my mentality was. I was like, I thought we're supposed to, you know, be in love with Jesus. And this just feels like a lot of finger wagging attitudes. And, um, I always, I remember one thing I cherished from my upbringing in that particular church community was the love of the hymns and how we were united in singing and, um, those kinds of things. And then I pivoted into like rock band churches and I was like, how can we love Jesus with electric guitars? Um, (laughs) and I learned a lot about kind of the structure of church leadership during that time. Um, I think at one point I did find myself in a Baptist church community. I, I just tried some different things. And honestly, in college, it was like, who's going to what church and has a car? And that was <laughs> how I found myself um, at some different places. But I, I stayed connected in a lot of those communities. I think during that time, I was searching to keep an identity that was rooted in my faith and live a life that was for Christ. Um, a lot of my friends were choosing to no longer do church at that chapter mm-hmm. of life. Um, and I knew that that was not something I wanted to walk away from, but I didn't know what I wanted in a church community per se. Um, and I, during that time, learned a lot of anti-Catholic sentiments from different leaders and mentors. No, the Protestants love us. Yeah, to some degree, I can say some of it was misinformation. Some of it was genuine theological criticism Mm -hmm. um, and healthy conversation but along the way I just kind of developed this subtle the Catholics can't possibly have any of it right and here's a a list of things that they in fact have very wrong Um, and I I did go to mass a couple times in college because I had um, I was an RA for a little bit and I had some residents that were Catholic and went to mass a couple times I remember serving soup at a soup kitchen that they had I think I don't remember what the the Newman Center is that the big college were you at you and I Northern Iowa. Yep. Um, So, yeah, I remember being loosely connected to Catholics. And even in my upbringing, I had some Catholic friends. And that was the... Probably the broadest lens I had on what Catholicism was was just through their experiences. So did the students you were advising invite you to mass? They did. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. Good for Um, them. Yeah, it was 
something I was just open to because I think in college a lot of people are very open to just exploring you know what is church what is the point of me being involved in a church what is the point of my faith how does this factor into my day-to-day rhythms or my week-to-week rhythms so I tried it out of curiosity to be honest um and I I remember there were things that I really appreciated about it and the one thing that jumped out to me about the first mass I went to in college was this like you entered the church and there was a sense of calm, but there was a sense of reverence that I felt like a lot of the churches that I was active in at that time, it was about kind of feeling like you were walking into a party. Um, Mm. And and that was, had some positive things wrapped up in that. But I remember just being really struck by this is, this feels like a holy space and the way that that was created in the building and the behaviors of the parishioners um, and just kind of the reverence that people would bring into that space um, that really struck me. And that was something that I can see was like kind of a seed planted. Those like two masses that I went to, <laughs> okay. um, little, little tiny seed. Um, uh, but then, yeah, after college, I continued with kind of my preference for a non-denominational church. Um, still very anti-Catholic in my, my heart and mind, and then ended up being set up and falling in love with a man who was Catholic. <laughs> um, God's I, got a sense of humor. Oh, he really does. And I, I remember when we started our relationship and, Pretty early on, I was like, we're going to have to make a call on can we even proceed if we have these two denominations at the table. Um, I had the conviction that whatever that phrase is, a family that prays together stays together was kind of my attitude. So I was like, if we proceed and this becomes marriage, we will not go to separate churches. I did not want a house divided in that sense. Um, And when Steve and I were kind of exploring, he would come to church with me. I would go to Mass with him. He always told me that he didn't feel like he had gone to church when he went to my church because Mm -hmm. He was like, the altar is over on the side. You guys do communion once a month. It seems to be about the rock band and not about the liturgy. And that was very confusing to me because I didn't have that framework for what we should be doing on a Sunday morning at Mass. Um, And for us, it's not Mass. It's something different. It's a service. Um, But I remember thinking at that time, like, okay, the right thing would be to kind of honor, like, if he says he needs something that feels a little bit more reverent and feels a little bit more liturgical, like, if we're still talking about Jesus, that's all that matters to me. So we're still looking at the scriptures and talking about the gospel and inviting our children into learning about Jesus and what he can do in our lives and being connected with him. If that's there, then I'm okay with all this liturgical stuff that's swimming around me. (laughs) I had criticisms. I had things I didn't understand, but I could see the beauty in a lot of the prayers that were said. I could, um, see a lot of the hymns that we sang were very familiar so there were pieces of things I had experienced before that um when we started dating I realized like okay it's going to be us going to mass it's not going to be us going to the non-denominational church and even during that time I remember thinking but eventually I'll convert him like eventually (laughs) I'll pull him out I'll show him enough truth. Yeah. Um, He'll hear the right rock song. Yes. I'll, I'll make the right argument. And, like, really, I mean, praise and worship. Why the Hill song. Yes. You know, and I, I, I still nostalgically can listen to those music, those songs, those tracks, and remember the things they were inviting me to ponder in my heart. And I think praise and worship music definitely has its place. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And definitely during Mommy's Quiet Time, that's always a good time. <laughs> but yeah, I remember that was kind of my idea of where the future was going to be. We would eventually find ourselves out of the Catholic Church into something that I preferred. What were some of the big, for you, the big hang-ups that led you to say, yeah, I'll go with him, but I'm going to convert him? Because this is where the, yeah. you know, this whole thing is off in these spots. Like, What were some of the, like one or two of the, the big ones? I think different things held different 
degrees of resistance in my heart. So, like, I remember all that talk about the saints. I was like, mm. that's a little weird. I don't know. Like, we don't really do that. But then I would tried to be kind of critical of my own beliefs and say, like, well, we kind of talk a lot of people up that are in our church communities. And is that not similar to what they're doing with saints? It's just those people are no longer alive. And the people we're talking up are still with us and having an influence. Um, and even the people that have passed, we kind of look to the example of, Christians and look at how they lived their lives and try to learn something from that. So the Saints was one that was like a lesser degree, but it weirded me out a little bit. Mm. Um, I remember my top two, though, were definitely the Sola Scriptura argument of if this is not explicitly in the Bible, why would we be doing that? Why would we be adding that? Um, and then, of course, Mary, which is the common hangout for a lot of mm. Protestants. Uh, and if I'm honest, I still am working through how I relate to Mary. Mm -hmm. um, it's I think becoming a mother kind of taught me some things with that relationship, but I also think just learning what Catholics are not saying when they talk about Mary is just as important about what they are saying. Um, like Mary does not pertain to the Trinity. Um, there was I, I have all sorts of books on my shelf that I'm like returning to and still reading through, and um, I, I think those top two things though were Mary and Scripture and. Again, ironically, I could see when we go to the Mass, we're in the scriptures every single time. Um, and I compared that to some of the, the sermons that I had been going to where we might read a couple verses and then for an hour we're talking about anecdotal jokes and stories and challenges. And I, I realized, like, okay, we're claiming scripture is very important, and yet, like, when we gather, it's a, just a tiny piece of what we're, we're focusing on. And here the Catholics are literally going Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, like, just steeping themselves in the word. So I was like, there's there's something there. And then when I learned the truth about the fact that we were missing a few books in our Bible, that shook me a little bit too. <laughs> so I've, I've always wanted to ask a Protestant this question. I know you're not a Protestant anymore. But going back to your Protestant days. All right, so they, yeah, they, they claim to take the scripture very seriously. If it's not in the Bible, it didn't, you know, it's, it's not important. So how did your, your non-denominational church handle the Eucharist when yeah. Jesus says... Eat my body, drink my yep. blood. You do not have, or you do not have life in you. So what? How did they? How did that, that jive? I remember going through in my college searching time, this trying to understand what it meant to interpret scripture, and who you lean on as a credible source has a lot to do with who you allow to interpret scripture. Um, and that was something that was just part of my personal experience. Um, I was not necessarily trying to translate it to original Greek or Hebrew language. Um, but the sources that I would sometimes turn to maybe didn't have enough credibility to even be leaning on in some of that. So the Eucharist was one of the biggest things. And in, in fact, I think the first thing that made me go, oh, I might have to start thinking about becoming Catholic. Really? Yes. Okay. It was, the Eucharist was the thing that drew me in first and foremost. Um, and it was because of that. And I, I mean, Steve and I, in some of our conversations prior to me converting, I wanted him to have some good arguments that were like just showing me the theological stuff on the table, you know, <laughs> give me a, a bulleted list and counter my arguments. But that was the one that I remember, he couldn't always articulate certain things to me, but that one was just like, okay, you don't really have to make much of a case on this. You're <laughs> literally just saying, if you say scripture is important, here's what it says, here's what it means. Um, and then when you do a little further study and you realize that the verbs that are being used in the original language cannot mean anything other than eat my flesh and not symbolically. Um, but yeah, that the Eucharist was definitely one that I can look back now and see that I was maybe just denying the reality of what the scriptures are saying there 
um, or believing it to the extent that I wanted to believe. So I can believe it to be a symbol, but whatever they're getting at in Catholicism can't be true because we're just saying that this is where it stops, like the buck stops here. Um, yeah, that was, that was when I had to wrestle with a little bit, but okay. once it clicked for me, I was like, oh no, like, I think I'm on that path. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So walk, walk us through your, 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 dating this great Catholic guy. You're, you don't want a house divided. Yeah. You're, you're definitely moving toward marriage. So what made you decide it's time to get a little more, like, how did you end up in, in your parish's RCIA? Yeah. Was it after your wedding, before the wedding? Yeah, so we got married. Um, I stubbornly was like, he will never be the Catholics. I can claim he converted me. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I love it. The way that that played out in our marriage was that I quietly became interested and curious, and I didn't let him in on that. And I think that, honestly, I, I so don't... So you got married before we, we got married. We okay. were going to a parish in Florida, um, very much connected in that community. And um, shout out to St. Dominic's. That was just, like, the most beautiful family. Yeah, great saint. <laughs> It was the most beautiful family to be kind of invited into the Catholic Church in. Um, I think, yeah, there's just so many positive experiences I can share about that time in our lives. But we were going to that parish. Um, I started to get a curiosity, and I just kind of discreetly started listening to certain podcasts and <laughs> reading a few things on the Internet. But, again, not really inviting Steve into the fact that I was exploring that. And it was mostly because it, it felt very vulnerable to me. It was a very scary thought to think of my protestant friends ever finding out that i would become catholic Mm. and the fear of would i be rejected by a lot of people that for so many years our faith was the strongest uniter in our friendship Mm. would they look at me becoming catholic and say well you've you know committed a crime or a sin at this point um that fear held me back but also just like not knowing how i felt about all of it it was something i needed to navigate by myself um so we're married I, I'm definitely certain I was pregnant with Oliver at the point when I was um, exploring that pretty intently. Um, and I think at a certain point, I, I told Steve, I'm kind of starting to like think some of this through. And there was a Christmas um, mass that we went to with his family back in Phoenix and beautiful time with family. But I remember crying in that mass at the point when people went down to receive because I felt so deeply in my heart like, I love Jesus so dearly. He is so much a part of my life. He is so much my strength. And I I can't, like, I'm held back. There's a wall here. Mm-hmm. And people that are maybe even indifferent towards what that reality is. Because at that point I was starting to say, I think that Eucharist stuff is real. I, I saw people almost indifferently receiving the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And me being over here like, I really believe that, but I can't have that connection with him that was something that really shook me. And at that point, Steve and I were pretty openly starting to talk about, I'm, I'm exploring this, I'm checking this out. So RCIA season, whatever time frame that was, started kicking off. And I told Steve, I think I might want to start slipping out on Wednesday nights or whatever it was and just kind of scope this out. Um, and, That's so cool. Yeah, and it was very interesting because for that... He, t- but he knew that you were going yeah. to RCIA. But like, I'm not, I'm not enrolled. Right. I'm just... I'm not making commitments. I'm not making promises. I'm just checking it out. Yep, yep. And he did accompany me. I remember, because this was right before COVID happened. So we had that conversation. At that point, I was kind of letting him into that that curiosity I was trying to explore. Um, Our community had just experienced a Category 5 hurricane. So a lot Mm. of parishes were having to kind of come together to share resources because things were just Mm -hmm. blown apart. So we were actually 
doing RCIA classes that were technically hosted by a different parish, uh, which that's kind of something to ponder, I guess. I'm sure it looks very different parish to parish. I have no idea what it looks like at St. Ed's. Um, But I remember at the parish that we were going to, it was kind of like we showed up on the first session and it was, here's the calendar here's when you're going to convert, here's when you're going to do this, here's when you're going to have your first confession, and that made me run out of the room. I, I okay. went to, I continued to go. I would say that's pretty typical. Um, yeah, and for me where I was at, I was like, I'm here to just ask questions. I'm here mm-hmm. to kind of explore this, but I'm not sure I'm committing yet. I just want to have a safe space to talk about my doubts and my questions. Yeah. Um, so that itinerary, after a couple of sessions, I got a little scared, and then once COVID hit and everything went virtual, I was like, this is a good time to just kind of slip away um, and I, I still cont- continue to listen to some of those podcasts I was listening to. Um, Father Mike Schmidt had a lot of good videos, um, Bishop, Bar- Bishop Robert Barron, mm-hmm. um, but Pints of the Aquinas specifically. But there were certain testimony interviews that happened on Pints of the Aquinas. It's a great That here and there, I, I learned Now you're going to be one things. of those interviews. Oh, no. People start to realize that what they were believing was maybe mm. not quite the best argument at the table. And it was really helpful to me to hear... Um, I think there was like a former Lutheran pastor, but then there was just kind of a Joe Schmo random guy. Mm-hmm. Like there was a whole spectrum of people that had different degrees of sacrifice involved in converting. And that was actually really helpful to me to kind of see, you know, for this person, these were their hangups or for this person, they were going to have to, you know, like the, the pastor, for example, was going to have to step away from his congregation. Like that's a huge sacrifice to make. It's a livelihood. It's, it's a livelihood and it's changing. Yeah. It's affecting your family. Yep. So that idea of, wow, you'd be willing to do that to become Catholic and enter into the fullness of the church. There's something that I need to ponder there. It's a martyrdom. Um, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a martyrdom. It's yeah. a beautiful. And it's a setting aside of your pride because at a certain point you realize yeah. that for many years you've been really convicted and maybe even aggressively attacking others. Mm. And then you're finding out that maybe some of my arguments were not yeah, right. St. Paul could go through that conversion, anyone can. Yeah, That's yeah. True. So the, those testimonies were a huge help. Teresa Prejean, who was our director of faith formation at St. Dominic's, she was a wonderful Southern belle of a woman. She um, really was just a great friend to us and our family during that time. But we had a conversation at one point where I kind of openly shared with her, uh, I think she had asked me, like, why did you just kind of stop going? Like, what was it that kind of pulled you away? Um, and I told her it was the itinerary. She was like, you know, RCIA is kind of, in my perspective, meant to be like a carousel ride where you can continue to just ride that ride and think the things you need to think through, ask the questions you need to ask, um, have those conversations, gather those resources. And when you're ready to get off, the off-ramp can be, I don't want to become Catholic, or the off-ramp can be, I'm ready to enter the church. And that was a little bit more inviting to me because then I felt that I could take my time with doubts that I still hadn't found the right answers for or questions that I wasn't sure I was ready to even articulate yet, but I knew that at some point I would start to be confused by. Um, And when I was given that analogy, I felt a little empowered to kind of jump back in. Um, So at that point, I started pondering getting back in and I, at one point, very dramatically in the middle of the week, just texted Teresa. I think it was like 8 o'clock at night. I was like, is it too late to join? Because RCA had already had a couple sessions at that point. She was like, come on over. <laughs> back um, on the carousel. Yeah. <laughs> so I hopped back on the carousel. And at that point, that, I mean, I cannot say that RCA is an experience where you find the answer to every single question. Right. Um, and I, I think that was a 
misconception I had going in mm-hmm. that once I get to the end of this, it's like a college course of sorts where you will <laughs> obtain all the information, have all of the, the degrees and certificates of sorts to like proceed forward. Um, but I do think that it was a space where I was able to find the answers that I was looking for and the resources to t- keep exploring the things that I hadn't yet figured out. Um, and I hit the point where I think um, Dr. Scott Hahn at one point said for his conversion, it felt like at a certain point it was becoming disobedience to not convert. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that very much was the sentiment I was feeling. I, I understood enough that I knew that I was rejecting the church at that point. Um, and that was a little bit of a scary thought of like, oof, like if I die tomorrow and I'm, I'm talking to Jesus and like, yeah, I just didn't want to deal with that stuff because it was <laughs> yeah. too much of a sacrifice or too much of a risk. I mean, I don't know that I want to have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to go back to two things that you said, and they're both about the Mass, um, because I think that obviously the Mass is the central, the highlight of our prayer as a church, right? And I think the first thing is that you were able to differentiate the idea between a, a service and the Mass, mm-hmm. which I want to tell all of our beautiful and amazing listeners, really Remember that in your own vocabulary. I hear so many Catholics say, oh, what time is service? We don't have, like, there are prayer services, but the Mass is not a prayer. It's something very fundamentally different, right? And so to articulate that isn't necessarily a, at least for you, it didn't seem like that was more of a realization. It was like, oh, this is something different happening here. As opposed to oh, I can't go to that because it's, it's not a service. I only go to services. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. But then your, your recognition as your, your faith led through your, your intense love of Scripture, your faith in the Eucharist that developed was holding you because of what it was, because of who the Eucharist was, right? Like you were held back. Like that's, that's powerful. Like when did you consciously decide like, I recognize the teaching of this Catholic Church and I will not present myself to receive because I know some people will just go like not out of malice or they just don't know. Yeah. Like I remember prior to our wedding learning that if you are not Catholic, you do not receive. Um, And I think I might have taken it a little offensively like, well, I am a Christian. mm -hmm. Like I know Jesus in my prayer life and in worshiping him and like, how could I be held back? Because for my understanding, it's just communion. It's just a symbol. So why would you hold me back? Um, and yeah, I think that that connection between what the Eucharist actually is totally feeds into the Mass is not just a service. We're not just coming together for fellowship. We're not just coming together to sing songs about the truth of who God is. We're not just coming together to read the scriptures together. There's a miracle happening before our eyes every Sunday, which again, it's like we get into these routines and we we become indifferent to something miraculous that even when there's flies buzzing and babies crying and the air is too hot, that miracle is still so present. Um, and it's kind of fun, you know, in the Catholic Church, you get to go see different parishes and see different presentations of that reality. And it's beautiful in every single parish. It's just a different form of beauty. Um, the parish I was just at on Sunday it was a very, very simple little chapel, but going through the Mass together and going through the liturgy with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and coming to that climax of what the liturgy is. It was just, there was a beauty in it. We didn't need to have beautiful stained glass windows, but when there are stained glass windows letting beautiful, colorful light in, that's also beautiful too. 
Now, I, so Father, I don't know, this, maybe we shouldn't air condition the church, the heat, the flies, the baby <laughs> You can't get a better recreation of Calvary. Yeah. You talk about representation of the sacrament, no? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the AC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, we had air conditioning back then. Jesus would have enjoyed being in the air conditioning. He could have chosen. He could have <laughs> he chosen. chosen. He chose to come before AC. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so they could fully suffer, but now we've lightened our load. Part of that lightning is the invention of air conditioning. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we could probably talk for like another two hours, but we. I we know that. Come into the end. Yeah, I know that you've got. Time. Oh, we are. We are there. Okay, yeah, we're... We've carried on. We're, yeah, but uh, Danielle, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Uh, and again, we, we hope that, like, podcast Danielle listened to that helped her in her journey to the fullness of truth, that um, if you know someone that has been discerning entering the church, share this podcast with them. Let them hear Danielle's story. Next week, we'll be bringing you Sanj, uh, another parishioner that converted here at St. Edward, um, and went through our RCIA program, which is probably just as intimidating. <laughs> Those don't really change all that much. Um, but Sanj converted here and shared these podcasts with them and and let them know that RCIA is a, a carousel. I think that's a great uh, image. And that's what I've tell, told people as they've been discerning entering RCIA here. You know, yeah, we, we offer it every year. Um, and we can sit with you even in the summers when we're off the RCIA. Mm-hmm. But yeah, RCA is not a one and done. If you join, you have to be Catholic. It's, it's just an opportunity to be with people who are discerning and, and journeying in the same direction you are. Um, and to just do that together. So. And I think parishioners that are Catholic, I, I think mm-hmm. you never stop being on that journey of what you're learning in an RCIA type format. Um, I, I feel like it, you can treat it like the once I've passed that course, I don't have to go back to the material thing. Um, but yeah, I, you can make that connection between growing in your faith being like stepping into a deeper and deeper swimming pool and I think that like for me RCA was like going from the shallow end to the slightly deeper end but as the years are going by I'm finding myself deeper and deeper in that water and I you realize it wasn't actually that deep how like, yeah. you were, like that wow. was just all I could handle yeah yeah no I mean it's just even for cradle Catholics it's that way like yeah. I'm constantly learning because the depths of beauty and truth are limitless like because it's God <laughs> 